Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. They took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. John chapter 12, verse 13. Happy Palm Sunday. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We believe that today's broadcast will be a half hour of hope for your life as we are joined by Nikki Fadley, founder and director of Strength and Peers. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Uh, it's so good to have you today. Thanks for tuning in. And today we're joined by Nikki Fadley. Nikki, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much. Um, so today we are um, privileged uh, to sit at the table with Nikki Fadley, who's doing some pretty awesome work in Harrisonburg um, with the Strength and Peers program. Am I saying that right? Uh, Strength and Peers organization. Organization. That's the word I was looking for. Well, thanks for joining us today. You and I were able to sit down um, a few weeks ago and have a conversation. I was just getting to know a little bit more about what you all do and was really inspired um, just by the work that you do in our community. Um, It's pretty amazing. And I thought, you know, more people need to know about this um, for a couple reasons. I think that uh, sometimes there are programs and organizations, um, nonprofits within our community that are doing some really amazing work. And sometimes, um, and and I know for me, especially being over outreach, um, taking a lot of phone calls from people that are needing help um, from the community. uh, And sometimes we may be a little bit thrown off of like, we're not sure how to help this person. You know, we could write a check, but we don't have the resources. We're not um, medical professionals. We're not, you know, there's just things that we don't have all the answers. But as I listened to you, as I, in that conversation that day, I realized that you are doing some things uh, for our community that maybe our community needs to hear about. Maybe they know someone that would need the services that you provide maybe they could figure out a way to come alongside Strength and Peers, um, maybe to kind of raise your arms, give you a little support along the way, and maybe they'd want to be a part of it, whether it's to help provide items that you all need or to volunteer. I don't know what all the opportunities might be, but I just felt like it was worth a conversation today. So to start out, it's always interesting to me to hear the story behind why somebody gets involved, right? And this podcast is really about story. Um, We love for other people to be able to hear the stories of others. So maybe you could start out just telling us a little bit about where you grew up and how you ended up where you are. Sure. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this podcast and to share with you and, and everybody else. I'd like to just start by saying that Strengthened Peers is what's called a peer-run organization. 
which means that all of our staff and most of our board of directors are individuals who are in recovery from mental health, substance use, and trauma-related challenges. And so my backstory and how I got to found and direct Strength in Peers really has a lot to do with my own personal recovery story mm-hmm. and, that, and that journey that I've been through. I grew up uh, a little bit different than most kids. I was in the State Department. Mm-hmm. You know, my father worked for the U.S. Agency for International Development, and I was born in the United States, but I received my first diplomatic passport and flew back to Bolivia when I was one month old. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't move to the United States until um, age 12. And so we traveled mm-hmm. the world, uh, living in Bolivia, the Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Egypt, Uh, before my father retired, and we came back stateside. Um, It was probably the hardest transition Mm. (laughs) of my life to move from um, international communities overseas and these uh, State Department mission communities overseas to Northern Virginia Mm. and the public school system (laughs) (laughs) right at the prime age of um, adolescence. Yeah. Uh, so that transition was really difficult mm. for me. You know, I, I went into a school with 4,000 students. I really felt anxious and started developing a lot of challenges with anxiety. Those bubbled into um, lots of depression, mm-hmm. uh, which I had no prior experience with and no understanding of how to cope with those types of challenges. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't think my parents really knew how to help me learn how to cope yeah. with those challenges either. Um, so it was all very new experiences for myself and my family. And, you know, they did their best yeah. <laughs> with the knowledge right. that they had, you know, trying to uh, get me into therapy services, into psychiatry services. Uh, you know, their idea was, you know, our child is struggling with mental health issues. Let's go to mental health professionals. Mm. That, unfortunately, didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that they don't work for other people, but for me personally, in my unique recovery journey, at that time, therapy and medication were not things that I was ready to accept or engage in. Mm -hmm. Again, I was a bit of a a wild (laughs) early Mm -hmm. teenager, and Mm -hmm. I was just not having it. Um, so I, you know, engaged in things like self-harm, other types of um, behaviors that, that were dangerous, uh, using substances, you know, just, just kind of looking towards other people mm-hmm. to fill gaps in me that I wasn't uh, knowing how to process or deal with on yeah. my own. So I struggled a lot. It took kind of all of high school, all of college to start processing my life experiences understanding, you know, what depression and anxiety were all about and how I could personally deal with those mm-hmm. on my own terms, you know, and, and in my own life. I don't think I really like fully hit my breaking point or uh, or started to really embark on a active, intentional recovery journey until I was probably out of grad school. So 
um, a lot of years of mm. coping in not the best ways. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> I've been um, down that road. <laughs> it was funny that the first thing, what really what kept me going through all these years really was developing this really close-knit friend group mm. with a bunch of other people that um, I still am friends with to this day. Mm. And we look back on our 20-plus year history, and what always tied us together was this experience of struggling with a variety of, of mental health challenges mm -hmm. and um, being very open and honest with each other about those things. And although we didn't have any kind of training in how to support one another as peers, that's what we did. Yeah. Um, now I know it's called natural peer support, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's developing, you know, those connections with other people who you feel understand you and you feel uh, are safe spaces to talk about and explore these types of challenges that we feel like maybe other people may not understand yeah. uh, or may not be ready to hear about. Mm -hmm. Then I actually had a, a, a close friend who also, again, uh, has a history of mental health challenges, and she got me into yoga. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, for a lot of people, just delving into physical activity is, is not enough <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, to help you know, overcome some of those initial barriers. But it, it was for me. Yeah. Again, my, my pathway, my history is unique to me. And getting into some physical activity really for you know, kind of one of the first times in my life, and, and yoga also does include a lot of meditative practice, that was really one of the first things that kind of got me out of my head and into my body, mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, almost for the first time in my, you know, in my life since since being a, a young child. And through that, I was able to kind of start understanding that there were other ways to deal with my feelings, other ways to feel grounded, to to find relief mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> from really the what amounts to the pain, the chronic pain of depression um, and the chronic fear of, of anxiety. And, you know, so that, that was kind of the start of my recovery journey. And, and since then, I've just learned to um, continue to live in wonder of what other types of tools might be available to me to help me get through um, feelings or to process things better mm -hmm. or to continue to move forward in my recovery and, and to put into place when things go wrong for me because um, recovery is never going to be cupcakes and rainbows. You know? That's <laughs> something, right. Something new always comes along. Uh, it's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. Uh, uh, challenges with loved ones, you know, like there, there will always continue to be bumps in the road and it's, how do I prepare myself? How do I maintain an understanding of myself and the things that affect me and my signs when things are breaking down? And what are the things that are my go-tos mm -hmm. for when those types of things happen? Yeah. And that's how today I live my recovery is in an endless exploration of new tools to help me along the way. Yeah. Um, you, you can never let your guard down. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, we have a 12 step program here that you're a little familiar with, I think celebrate recovery. And, you know, we talk a lot about what are our triggers? Yeah. You know, what are those things? And then, and what we do is we put into place um, accountability, which is community, right? Mm -hmm. We got to have our people, you know, every person needs people. Um, and especially in recovery, you have to have your people that are safe to reach out to and say, hey, I'm really struggling today. And it sounds like you had that community coming out of grad school. And in that time, you realized that you had 
your people around you. Um, and that's powerful. I don't think that we were meant to try to make it on our own, right? Um, we need other people. So thank you for sharing that. I, I love to hear people's story and their background and just thinking about your experience as a young child, seeing the world, and then coming here and being thrown into the whirlwind of Northern Virginia. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think about that many students. Wow. So those things, you know, I, we've learned a lot over the years, but I do, I appreciate that your parents did everything they could. You know, they were trying to get get you to the right places and it doesn't, not, we're not cookie cutter, right? Not, not work. One thing that might work for some people don't, don't work for others and we have to figure out what does and that is a journey in its own. Well, Nikki, as you were talking, uh, it was cool to hear, you know, about some of the things you experienced as a child, getting to live different places, different cultures. and But then, like you said, when you moved to the U.S., you kind of started to experience some things that you had never experienced before. And it took you a while. You said high school and college and even grad school to realize and people around you that helped you. And just talk about the importance of when you're dealing with things like anxiety and depression, the importance of having people around you that support you and can help um, give you some encouragement. Maybe they've even experienced some of the same things and also the benefit of that being able to help people knowing firsthand what they might be going through. Yeah, there's no one that's more comfortable to talk to about the hardest things than somebody who you feel really understands. Mm and can tap into their own personal experience with similar feelings, which is what we call empathy, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what empathy really is. And it's easier to get to that point of empathy if you have a a stronger personal experience that connects with what the other person Mm -hmm. is feeling. And that's really the power of peer support, right? You go into a peer support relationship knowing that the person that you are talking to has had other very serious, uh, somewhat similar experiences Mm -hmm. to you, and they're willing to go there to touch those feelings, you know, for themselves and come from that place of connection and how they listen to you and how they respond to you and, and offer support. And um, a lot of times, you know, when, when people struggle with things like anxiety, depression, substance use, um, et cetera, you know, the, the gamut of mental and behavioral health challenges, you know, we, we often isolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often feel shame for uh, the things that we may be doing to cope with our struggles. And we end up moving away from people who are our social supports. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we feel like we're a burden to them, you know, or that um, we're supposed to figure this out on our own, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And um, and that's really, really difficult because a lot of times after a while of doing those types of things, you know, we wake up and we realize, my goodness, I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I'm really struggling and there's there's nobody I can turn to to, to call. Um, and thank goodness there are things like, uh, you know, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and other hotlines that are available to reach out to if you don't have somebody else that you feel comfortable calling mm-hmm. in, in the midst of a crisis. But there is 
as far as those things that really build our resilience and make sure that we're able to get past those times of crisis, having supports, social supports are up there with among the most critical. Even just having one person, yes. <laughs> just one person in your back pocket that you're like, this is someone that I know that if I'm really having a hard time, I can text and be like, I need to talk to you right now, please. And they're going to call you back in an instant. Like that is gold right mm-hmm. there. There's nothing I think that is, um, has been more beneficial to me in my recovery than having some of those people mm-hmm. available yeah. to me. And the feeling is mutual because I know that I'm that person for right. them too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really powerful. And it could be somebody who, you know, I hardly talk to. Right. Um, and it's just like every once in a while, crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's the strength of the relationship that it'll always be there for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. As you said that, you know, you, maybe you don't talk to them often. But there's people popping in my mind that I know I can pick up the phone and have that conversation. And it's like we just talked yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just pick right up from where you are and they understand. They get it. They've been there. So you have went to grad school. You know, you've kind of come out of it. You've realized you have these uh, peers around you that have been instrumental in your survival. What happened from there? (laughs) Close the gap in the story. (laughs) Yeah, so I think having grown up overseas and primarily developing countries and seeing the really stark contrast between, you know, what life is like in other parts of the world and what life is like in a place like Northern Virginia, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I really, from a very early age, just always felt a bit of a responsibility towards just the world around me mm-hmm. and, and towards others. I just always kind of had this sense of service uh, that was a, a core value of mine and, and a part of my being. And I also, I guess maybe just from my own personal experiences, always gravitated to solutions that came from people affected by challenges. Mm. Uh, you know, those that are really affected by things are the ones most capable, I think, of figuring out the best ways out of Mm -hmm. them. And both from kind of international development field of study and um, personal experience, I I really gravitated to this community health worker Mm -hmm. concept. Uh, So I I got into public health. I got a master's in public policy with a concentration in public health. And uh, since you know, my first real job, <laughs> real jobs have all been in the field of public health policy, really with a focus on promoting uh, from the ground up solutions in mm-hmm. communities, whether that was, you know, training community members to educate others on healthy living practices like community health workers, mm-hmm. you know, just just exploring how, how to empower people to be their own solutions in their own community and develop local leadership. Um, And then I learned about this awesome field called peer recovery support. (laughs) And it was like the community health worker version for behavioral health. Mm. And boy, it was, you know, smack dab in my personal experience and journey. So I gravitated to this field uh, right away. I mean, it just it just became my passion. 
I was at the time working for a nonprofit in Pendleton County, West Virginia, called Future Generations. Um, they do all this amazing international development work, again, with this concept of building people on the ground up to be their own solutions. Um, I, to this day, love their theory of change, and people should look them up. They're awesome. They're up on a mountain <laughs> in West Virginia doing amazing things. But they really supported me to explore my passions in programming. Um, I started off with a community health worker program in West Virginia, working primarily in the southern part of the state, training people in uh, teaching others health education, physical activity education, that type of a thing. Uh, I got very tired of driving all over West Virginia. Love the state, <laughs> absolutely beautiful. But man, uh, it's a lot of driving. And then, the windy roads. With right. a lot of windy, <laughs> snowy roads. Um, over time, I started looking more at opportunities to design programs in peer recovery support. And also, I had a strong interest in bringing those programs back home, <laughs> where, yeah. where I lived, mm -hmm. to the Shenandoah Valley. Um, and I'm in Shenandoah County, actually. So I had my first project in uh, Shenandoah County. We kind of opened our first office in Woodstock and started working with veterans who were struggling with mental health challenges and trying to lend peer support to the veteran community. Um, one project developed into another project and into another. We expanded from Shenandoah County into Harrisonburg and Rockingham and then into Page. Eventually, we decided uh, to part ways with future generations. You know, they really developed my capacity and my understanding of program management and fiscal management and all the tools I needed to be able to uh, start to manage a, an organization on my own. And we became fully independent January 1st, 2018. Since then, we've just continued to grow, uh, writing you know, more grants, designing more projects and getting to the place that we are now. So tell us a little bit about what you all do. There's different things. There's different ways to engage in peer support. And you all do, you just have different areas of outreach that you do. If you just share kind of a broad overview of what all you're doing now, because you're doing a lot. Sure. We have always focused on individuals who, you know, we call them underserved, right? Mm -hmm. um, but by that, what I really mean are, are individuals who don't know where to go for help who aren't already engaged in services somewhere, aren't going to the doors of other service providers signing up for care. You know, the, the ones who are on the margins, um, who are not quite sure if they are ready for recovery, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who may, may still be ambivalent, may still be scared, may be worried about stigma or you know, real or perceived stigma. Um, may not have the transportation or the insurance or the money, or they don't think that they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, we are really focused on the people who are, are not clamoring for services from other providers, mm -hmm. which leaves us with um, outreach to our most vulnerable community members. Mm -hmm. From the start, we've had a real focus on individuals coming out of incarceration, uh, individuals who are homeless and unstably housed, and are you know rural 
our rural mm-hmm. households and, and families, um, especially in those Shenandoah and Page communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we always have done a lot of outreach. We've always, well, more so before the pandemic, um, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, we've had a history of providing peer support services in our local jails, Page County Jail, uh, Rockingham Harrisonburg Regional Jail, and Middle River Regional Jail, of providing reentry workshops to help people just get their bearings on, you know, what types of services are available for them to meet various types of needs that are common among people returning from jails and, and other forms of institutions. Um, so really trying to reach people who are struggling. Uh, we've actually more recently developed a, a new outreach program. It's our Comprehensive Harm Reduction Program. And while it does offer a really critical service of um, supplies and education and support to help people stay alive, (laughs) to uh, be more safe in their use of substances, for us, it's really an outreach strategy, a way of connecting with people who may become interested in recovery, may become ready for recovery. Um, that program works with people who are still using drugs, um, provides uh, sterile needles for people who use injectable drugs. Uh, we take back used needles and syringes for proper disposal so those aren't out there in the community where they could potentially uh, result in unintended needle sticks. Um, we provide naloxone and train people in how to use naloxone. That's the medication that will reverse an opiate overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that available and can actually give that to people directly. We distribute condoms. We distribute wound care supplies, all sorts of supplies just to help people be a little bit more safe in how they use drugs. Because really, there's always hope that someone can recover and anybody can recover Um, as long as they're still alive. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, you shared that with me a few weeks ago and I just, I am absolutely in the mindset that we have to engage people where they are and we have to build relationships. If they're ever going to come out of the addiction they have to have somewhere to go. And I am so blessed that you all, you understand that because you've had your own things, right? And you're willing to go to places that I'm not sure everyone's willing to go, you know, because you've been gifted to do that. Not everyone's been gifted or called to do that, but you all have. And you are going and meeting people at their point of need. And I know that um, you're building relationships and you're providing um, some things that give you entrance into their lives, right? Like there's some things that they need. So thank you for being willing and just being willing to be those, um, just a conduit to them that one day, hopefully they can return to you, walk in your door and say, you know what, I'm ready I am um, ready to take the next step. Well, one of the things you said, Nikki, that really stuck out to me is that, you know, you provide hope for people. And that, too, like, as long as people are breathing, they're not beyond hope. That's right. That they can find hope. 
And so thank you for providing hope for those people that are struggling with the things that you mentioned. And uh, thank you for joining us on today's uh, broadcast of Hope Talks. If you would just like to share contact information, if anybody knows of anybody that would be interested in any of y'all's services or what you all offer, how they could get a hold of you all at Strength and Peers. Sure. We try to make it really easy for anybody who's seeking any services from us to get them. All it takes is a phone call. Okay. Uh, you can go on our website, strengthenpeers.org, uh, and find out more about the other services that we offer, not only the harm reduction services, but the case management and peer recovery support services and the integrated recovery programs that we offer uh, that also include things like counseling through the Harrisonburg Center for Relational Health and Psychiatry through the University of Virginia Department of Psychiatry, uh, the populations that are eligible for those services because they are grant funded and aimed at our most vulnerable community members. You can go on our website. The website also has a email form that's easy for people to use to send us a message. Um, we're also active on our Facebook page. We oftentimes have people message us there to find out more about our services or just, you know, talk to somebody and, and get connected to schedule an appointment, um, giving us a call. I mean, any way that you connect, but that's the first step. The first step is reaching out, asking for help, connecting, and then we're there to support. Yeah. Thank you, Nikki. It's been great to have you. Thank you for joining us today. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that as you've heard Nikki Fadley share a little bit of her story and also about their organization, Strength and Peers, that today's broadcast truly has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.